0: Everyone, my name is Josh Scroggins. I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. We are uh, in the second episode of our series called Activating the Hand of God. This is a follow-up to our, our previous series on spiritual warfare. Our theme verse for this series is Isaiah forty-one thirteen. What it says is this. It says, for I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Let me ask you, what does it take to move the hand of God? What does it take to activate his power in your life? What kinds of human action can cause a divine response? Now, in our last episode, we began this series called Activating the Hand of God, really focused on answering these questions. Uh, Again, this is a follow-up to the series that we just finished dealing with spiritual warfare. In this series, we're looking at what we can do that will activate God's hand to move in our life. And no, I'm not talking about manipulation. This is not manipulation. It's just following a pattern that God himself has recorded for us and told us about. He says, basically, if you, then I. That is a pattern we see throughout scripture. There are things that human beings can do that will cause a divine response according to God himself. So. In our last episode, we looked at the importance of repentance and how it can cause God to respond. In this episode, we're going to look at a word that's very difficult for most of us, probably all of us. And that word is obedience. Yes, obedience activates the hand of God to move in your life, no doubt. As we talk about this topic, we're going to explore one big area that people, even most Christians, are not obedient Uh, Now, the subject we're going to deal with here might make some of you who listen to this mad at me. People have left churches over it. There have been church splits over this issue. Um, As a result, actually, a lot of pastors, preachers, teachers, they just simply stop teaching about this topic or they've compromised on it so as not to offend people. Uh, But we don't do that here. I I love you too much to do that. And so because I love you, I'm going to risk offending you. Now, before we get into the topic, uh, I need you to promise me something. And I'm just going to assume that you're doing this because you can hear me. I, I can't hear you, but I need you to do something for me. I need you to promise you're not going to throw up walls and check out before we finish. In fact, as soon as I tell you the chapter and book we're going to, some of you might check out right there. Resist that urge, please. You may be offended. Uh, in this episode by this message I hope you're not but if you are then well then you are I'm not asking you to not be offended you can't control that I'm just asking you to keep your offense in check through the sermon through this message through this episode and keep your mind and more importantly your heart open all right after after this is over you can do whatever you want with what you've heard deal all right I'm just gonna assume you said deal (laughs) Malachi chapter three, stay with me, All right? Some of you guys heard Malachi three, think, oh no, here we go. <clears throat> That's right. Malachi chapter three, verses eight through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All nations will call you blessed. For you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I want to be very clear about something. This episode, this this series, particularly this this episode of this series, it's not about tithing, okay? It's about obedience. Now, that said, tithing is probably the single most consistent area of disobedience for Christians. In fact, the statistics that I have heard say that around 3% of Christians consistently tithe. Which would mean that 97% of Christians are not being obedient. Now, for some, as a matter of fact, for a lot of Christians, it's simply because they were never taught about it. They don't know, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe they're just a new Christian, but it's also possible that they go to a church where the pastor, the preachers, the the teachers are just afraid to teach about it because people get offended and they leave the church as soon as you mention anything to do with money. And so, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that just haven't been taught. And and unfortunately, they get robbed of an incredible blessing that's attached to that. It's the blessing that's mentioned here in in Malachi 3. Other people... They've heard about tithing, but they have come to believe that tithing was somehow done away with in the New Testament. In spite of the fact that nowhere in the New Testament is it said that it was done away with. And in spite of the fact that Jesus himself endorsed the practice, Matthew 23, 23, where he says to the Pharisees, look, you guys are tithing but you're neglecting the weightier parts of the law, you should have focused in more on the weightier parts of the law without neglecting the tithe. So Jesus himself even says, don't neglect the tithe. It's just not as important as say loving other people. Um, but Jesus himself endorsed it. And, uh, but in spite of that, there are some that will just Claim that it, it's an old testament thing. Now I, I think personally, I think there's there's some that legitimately believe that. I think others really are clinging to that because they are just they're just resisting what they know they should do and they're and they're fighting over it. And that really comes to the last category of people. There there are some people who know exactly what the Bible says. They know clearly that God says to tithe in both Old and New Testament. And they just refuse to. Why? Well, because their money has a greater claim to their heart than God does. And I know that sounds harsh. I know that's, I, I told you, you might be offended. I hope you're not. But Jesus himself said, a man cannot serve two masters. And maybe you've heard that phrase before. What you might not know is that when Jesus was talking about serving one master instead of two and not being able to serve two, that entire sermon, that entire that entire illustration that he was using, that entire parable that he was using, it was about money. He finishes it up by saying no man can serve two masters. Then he says you cannot serve both God and money. One of them is going to have your heart. And so if you get to a place where God says, hey, 10% of what your increase is, I want you to give that to me. I want you to return it to me. If you refuse to do that, then it, it becomes very clear which has your heart. And unfortunately, here's the other side of it, is that many have left the faith because of this passage that I just read you. And in particular, not because of the passage itself, but because that passage in Malachi 3, 8 to 12, has been used to spiritually abuse people by well-meaning, but misguided preachers. This passage has been preached to mean that, well, if you don't give God 10% of your income, then you're robbing him because, you know, that money was his and now god's gonna god's gonna curse you because of it but if you start tithing then god will rebuke the devil and he'll bless you but that sounds that sounds pretty harsh doesn't it in fact many have taken this as a way of manipulating people into giving money to the church and they've left the church because of it <clears throat> i know when i was younger if i would hear a preacher begin preaching uh this passage The first thing that went through my mind is I wonder how the church finances are doing. I wonder why he is preaching this passage. Uh, so let me clarify our church finances are fine. Okay. We're, we're doing fine. Uh, we're paying the bills. We're not hurting. We're not scared. Okay. We're, we're fine. We're, we're, we're doing what we need to do. Things are being taken care of. Okay. Uh, I am not teaching on this because we're trying to get something out of you. Okay. In fact, I'm trying to get something to you. I simply want you to understand what this passage means. And unfortunately a lot of people have heard this preach. I mean, I've seen this passage preached more than once by a man screaming at the congregation, wagging his Bible in his hand at the people, not to the people. And maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've heard this passage preached like that before in a way that felt uh, like a condemnation of the people in the pews. But can I ask you, would you mind if I give you maybe a different reading of this passage, Malachi 3? Would you mind if I offered you another interpretation of the passage that I feel like fits better with the actual text? Let me let me first show you why I don't think that the standard interpretation I told you works. Um, <clears throat> now, if you're not able to do this, I understand. But if you are able to, uh, it would be helpful if you have your Bible with you to pull up. My, uh, Malachi three, eight through twelve. Okay, to just kind of pull that up and and have that for reference because I'm going to talk about this passage a little bit, and I think it would be helpful for you to have a have it referenced. And on you know on Sunday morning at the church, I can put it up on the screen, but through a podcast, I can't really do that. So if uh, if you can, go ahead and go ahead and pull that up. Uh, again, if you're driving, please don't do that. If uh, if you're working, I understand. Um, I'll, I'll reference back, but I want us to kind of understand why the standard interpretation that I told you. Well, again, what's the standard interpretation? Well, if you don't give God 10% of your income, you're robbing him because that 10% of money, it's his. That's what God's being robbed of. And if you do that, then God will curse you. And then if you start tithing, God will rebuke the devil for you and he'll bless you. That's the standard interpretation. Um, I want to... I want to give you a different interpretation because I think there's some problems with the one that I just, I just gave you. Okay. First of all, let's, let's differentiate between what a tithe is and an offering. Okay. Uh, first of all, everything in this, in this world, it belongs to God. We get this, we get this really mixed up when we say that, well, 10% is God's and 90% is ours. Uh, that is sort of true, but it's sort of not true. The fact is that everything belongs to God. It's all his. It's just that he, gives us, he blesses us, he gives us the use of some of what is his. And what he does is he says, I'm going to bless you. And as a, as a, um, as a sign of trust, as a sign of your heart, as a sign that money is not holding you as a sign of, you know, all of that obedience, right. Which is what this, this episode is about. I'm going to tell you that the first 10% of your increase, I want you to give it back to me. I'm giving you everything that you have in your life. I have given you all of it. But the first 10% of your increase, I want you to bring it back and return it to me. So God has claimed 10% of your increase as his. The other 90%, he allows you to keep that. Okay, so it would make sense then (coughs) um, if if we're seeing seeing tithes and, and the idea of robbing God. Uh, Well, what is an offering? Well, an offering is anything above and beyond that 10%. Okay, so if uh, if you if you have your tithe, you pay your tithe and then you you give extra above and beyond that, that's an offering. Uh, Anything before you get to that 10% mark is not an offering. It is your tithe. And until you hit that 10%, which God says that because tithe means 10th, right? Anything shy of that, anything short of that is not a 10th, right? You can't 20th, a 10th. It just doesn't work like that. It's just a math thing. So in this passage, in Malachi 3, 8 to 12, if you're reading through this, where does it say that God is being robbed? Well, it says in tithes and in offerings. I mean, tithes make sense, right? Because that's, God says, that's mine. I want you to return it back to me. I'm claiming ownership over that first 10%. That, that is, I'm, I'm, I own it all, but I'm asserting my ownership over that first 10%. That belongs to me. I'm claiming it as mine. So it makes sense if someone is not giving God what is His. If not, they're not. That makes sense why that would be considered robbing God. But why are offerings mentioned here, right? I mean, tithe is God's. Offerings are free will. They're something that we give freely out of what is ours, or at least what has been given to us, to uh, to to have as our own. So the the interpretation that God being robbed is is just referring to the tithes. It's just incorrect because offerings are also mentioned here. Uh, second, <coughs> there, there's another part of it, right? Where, where, you know, it says God will rebuke the devourer. And, and the standard interpretation is that that's the devil. But let me ask you this. If the devourer is the devil, then why is the devourer referred to an it instead of a he? Can, can I suggest to you that um, that God is being robbed here of more than just the tithe? Now stay with me i'm not i'm not contradicting scripture here um let, let me clarify is not giving god the 10 that that is his is that robbing god yes okay but we get so focused on that simple truth that we miss the greater meaning of this passage and we actually overlook one of the most powerful truths about god's character that god longs to bless his children Can I suggest to you that maybe what God is being robbed of here in this passage and the thing that we rob God of today when we are not obedient is the opportunity to bless his children. You know, 2nd Chronicles 16 9 says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that we may strongly support those whose heart is completely his or that he may support. God wants to bless us. He loves us more than any father could love any child. He is constantly searching for ways to bless us. So when we are obedient and that obedience makes it so that he cannot bless us, we rob him. And this is true, by the way, about so much more than tithing. But I do want to stick with this, this passage in Malachi for for a moment. So does that mean that God curses those who don't obey, right? I mean, God says, well, you're cursed with a curse. You're robbing me. Does that mean that because they aren't paying their tithes that God curses? If you're not paying your tithe, is is God up in heaven cursing you? No, absolutely not. And, And I'll tell you why it's because there's no need to do that because they are already cursed. There's no need to curse somebody who is already cursed. You remember that devour mentioned in the passage that God was going to rebuke? That's not the devil. It's the curse. The curse is the devourer. You are cursed with a curse. And then God says, I want to rebuke the devourer. I will rebuke the devourer. What's the devourer? It is the curse. So what's the curse? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter three, you're going to find out what the curse is. At least this is my interpretation, uh, but, but I think it's right. Genesis chapter three, verses 17 to 19. It says, then Adam, to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Here we go. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you remember, or sorry, until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You notice something here? When God said in Malachi, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. This is what he was talking about. This is the devourer, the curse that was placed on the earth as a result of sin. The curse of sin, that's the devourer. The reason that we grow old and die, that's the devourer. The reason that we have to work and toil to get anything, right? That was the curse for Adam. He says, you know, you're going to be able to eat, but how much work in the garden did they have to do in order to sustain themselves? It's about as much work as it took to reach up to grab some fruit off of a tree and to eat it. That's as much work as they had to put in. But after that, God says, you're going to have to work hard to survive. If you want to eat, you're going to have to toil. You're going to have to work. You will have sweat coming off of you. You are going to have to work for it. And then even when you work, the ground will produce thorns and thistles. Life is about to get very difficult for you. That is the devourer, that thing that that causes us to to have trouble storing up anything because the the quicker we store up, the faster it seems to disappear. That is the devourer. And so if the devourer is the curse from Genesis, then it's possible this is why God said in Malachi three that the nation was what cursed with a curse, he didn't say. You are robbing me in tithes and offerings, and therefore you will be cursed, or I am cursing you. This is something he says plainly, you are cursed with a curse. You already are. It's it's a matter-of-fact statement. You are cursed with a curse. I would submit to you that what God is saying in this passage is that the nation was dealing with the curse of sin that was eating away at what they had. It was making their lives hard. They were struggling. They were were struggling to not just survive, but to thrive. God wanted to bless them tremendously. He wanted them to thrive and they couldn't. And the reason that they couldn't is because they were dealing with the devourer. The curse of, of sin was affecting them. It was affecting the land. It was affecting everything around them. And what happened here is God, what I believe that God is saying is that Because they were refusing to obey, because they were refusing to to give the tithes, because they were refusing to be generous with what he had blessed them in, in, in offerings. Because of that, they were robbing God a chance. They were robbing God of a chance to shield them from that curse and to bless them. That's what I think this is talking about. It was in the tithes and the offerings that God was being robbed of a chance to bless his children of a chance to protect them, to rebuke the devourer that was making their lives difficult. That's what I believe this is talking about. And that truth is still true today. If you ever wonder, if you have ever wondered where all your money goes every month, if you have ever wondered why you can't seem to get ahead no matter how hard you try, if you have ever struggled to make it, and then just as you start making some headway, something comes out of nowhere and it sets you back again, I can tell you why. You are cursed with a curse. We all are. That said, when we choose to be obedient in the area of tithing, we then open ourselves up to God rebuking the devourer in our lives, particularly in that area. If if we want God to, to move in the area of our finances, then we need to make sure we are obedient in the area of our finances. And you could talk to people in our in our church. You can talk to people in your church. If you're not from here, find find some people in your church that have started tithing. Ask them what happened. And and no, most of them probably are not going to tell you that they suddenly got rich. <clears throat> but they can tell you that the devourer was clearly gone. And they were getting more done with 90% than they were with 100%. See, <clears throat> God wants to bless you. He does. He's a good father. He is rooting for you. He longs to bless your life. But... He has chosen to do thro- so through certain systems that he has set up in place. One of those systems is tithing. It activates the hand of God in your finances. And by the way, it is the only place in Scripture where God says it's okay to test him. So test him. See for yourself. Look, if you're, if you're going to another church, if you're maybe just listening to this, but you're not part of our church family, I sure hope that you are, you are tithing there. If you're not you should start if you don't have a home church and you're wanting to support us you can you can go right through our website nbfamily.net you can give online there <clears throat> but test him put god first in your finances put god first trust him obey him watch what happens see for yourself our church is full of stories my life It's full of stories where God has just rebuked the devourer for me. Now, look, if you're already a tither, don't think you're off the hook. Because remember, this message, this episode, it is not about tithing. It is about how obedience can activate the hand of God in your life. Maybe you are a tither, but maybe there's another area in your life you are being disobedient. If you want God to move in your life and you still have not done the last thing he told you to do, then you are holding back his hand. Think about a father telling his son to clean his room and then after the room is clean then the father's gonna take his son to go bowling Now it could be that this this father knows that his son loves to bowl I mean I, I picture this scenario in my head and and I just because I've got I've got a, a son now um, I, I think about this he's not old enough to go bowling right now but I think about how much I love to, to bless him. I love to do things that make him happy. I love to do things that, and so I, I could just see a father telling his son, look, clean your room. And then once you're done cleaning the room, <clears throat> we're gonna go bowling. And then he leaves the room. And, and as his son is in the room cleaning, the father is is making plans, right? He, he's thinking about, man, we're gonna we're gonna go down, and have so much fun. I know he loves to bowl. And we get down there and we're gonna get some pizza. We're gonna get some chili dogs. We're gonna do whatever. And there's an arcade there. Uh, man, we're going to go have some fun there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him to the arcade. And and, and as he's making all of these plans, he is so excited to bless his son. And then he walks into his son's room and finds out that the room is not clean. The son has not obeyed. And now the father, because he's he's a good father, is not going to take his son bowling because the son was disobedient. And that bowling trip was conditional on the, on the, on the room being clean. So what happened? That son robbed his father of the chance to bless him. The father in that scenario is robbed as much as the son is. God desires more than you will ever know to bless you. He loves you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to be fulfilled and full of joy and peace and love. That's God's heart toward you. So when you refuse to obey and you hold God's hand back it robs God of the blessing that he gets by blessing you. I want to give you some truths about obedience that are going to help you understand it better because it's it's one of those one of those words that I think it, it's a strong word and I think uh, I think there's a few misconceptions about it. So let me let me just kind of help you avoid some common mistakes people make when they think they're obeying and they're not. Okay? First of all, Obedience does not mean manipulating. Manipulating is deceitfully using your actions as a way of getting what you want. Obedience to God is submitting ourselves to what he wants for us. Look, a lot of kids have have learned how to say certain things, maybe do certain things to get what they want out of their parents. But that isn't being truly obedient. It's just faking it. And make no mistake, God is not going to be fooled by this. He sees your heart. He sees your intentions. He knows if you're being genuine or not. So I would encourage you, think about the reasons you're doing what you're doing. Are you obeying God just to get something out of him? Just to get him to do something? Are you are you going through the motions without your heart attached to it? Not not because you, you want the best, you want God's best for you, but because you're trying to manipulate him into something? Or are you being obedient because you love God and you trust him. Obedience does not mean manipulating. Second, obedience does not mean half effort. It doesn't mean partial effort, right? I mean, obedience is not about doing something part way. I mean, imagine that same, that same kid, (coughs) same son being told by the father clean his room. He comes in and finds out that the son took three socks off the ground and put it in the hamper. And that was as much as he did. Was that obedient? No, it's not. What if he cleaned up half the room and left the other half a mess? Was he being obedient? No. There is a reason in the passage we read earlier in Malachi, where God says to the nation to bring the whole tithe. I love that he says that. It, it's, it's actually very funny to me because tithe means tenth. So until you've gotten to the whole tithe, it's not a tithe. You can't do a partial tithe. It would Mathematically, that makes no sense. You can't say bring me half a tithe right? If, if you're doing, if you've only done it halfway, it's not a tithe, right? It's, that's a 20th. That's not a 10th. Anything that is, before you get to a tithe, before you get to the whole tithe, that's not a tithe, that's not a 10th. Only once you cross that line, does it become a 10th? So God says, I want you to just reinforce this. Bring the whole tithe. Because obedience does not mean half effort. It doesn't mean we do something partway. It also means that we don't do something with the actions, but, but do so without, without the, uh, um, the heart behind it. You know, I, I, there's, there's many kids, especially if you've ever had teenagers work with teenagers, you tell them to do something and they kind of halfway do it. And it feels, it feels very disrespectful, right? You don't know talking about any, any you parents of teens, anybody who's worked with teenagers. <clears throat> um, that's not obedience. In fact, it, it should be noted here that partial obedience is disobedience. Let's say it again. Partial obedience is disobedience. Obedience also does not mean agreement. This is is going to be difficult for some of you, but this is going to be very freeing for some of you. Obedience does not mean that I agree with what I'm being told to do. God has often told me to do things that I didn't like, I didn't agree with, I didn't think were a good idea. I mean, how many of you parents listen to this? Have you, have you told your kids something to do they didn't agree with? But then they did it anyway. See, obeying God doesn't mean we have to agree with Him. And I hope that's freeing for you if you're, if you're struggling with this. You can obey God even if you don't agree with what you're being told to do. Because obedience is about submission, not agreement. And finally, obedience does not mean Understanding. This is also something I hope that's going to be freeing for some of you. You don't have to understand something to obey it. Our Wednesday night services, we've been going through the book of Acts. It's a, it's a powerful book, um, recording the way that the early church was formed, the incredible things that took place at that time. The book begins with Jesus giving a command in Acts one, four to five. It says, gathering them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father had promised, which he said. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, the followers of Jesus, they had no idea what this meant. They're still expecting a physical kingdom to be set up. In fact, right after he said that, they said, are you now going to establish your kingdom? Right? They're waiting for this earthly kingdom to be set up. They're waiting for God to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up this, this earthly kingdom. <clears throat> they had no idea who the Holy Spirit was. They had no idea what it meant to be baptized by him. They didn't understand what they were waiting for. They only knew Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem until they received what the Father had promised. But they didn't really know what that meant. And they didn't know how long they were going to wait. And they didn't know where in Jerusalem they were supposed to meet. Right? Jesus didn't tell them any of that. He just said go and wait in that city. Where in the city? I didn't he didn't say. Okay, how long are we here? I don't know. We're just waiting here until we get what the Father promised. What did he promise us? well, that we'd be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I don't have a clue, right? Imagine being told to wait somewhere, but not being told how long you have to wait. And then also you don't know exactly what it is you're waiting for. And then you ask the person, okay, what is it? And they say, don't worry. You'll know when it happens. Just wait until it does. That's essentially what's happening here. And after this, Jesus is taken to heaven. They return to Jerusalem and they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait. They're waiting for 10 days, right? It's about a week and a half. They wait, they wait, they wait, and they wait and they wait and they wait and they get bored and they decide to hurry God along by trying to rectify an issue that they think needs solving, right? Filling Judas's place after he betrayed Jesus. And finally, after that, they're able to now focus because they feel like they've they've fixed this issue that they thought needed to be solved and not realizing that 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 was going to be solved later. Jesus already had that replacement in mind. Uh, It's just that they didn't understand yet. So finally, after, after waiting 10 days, the day of Pentecost arrives. And in Acts 2, 1 to 8, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hear them in our own language to which we were born? Look, it is safe to say that the early believers did not understand this is what they were waiting for until it happened. They didn't understand while they were waiting. But understanding was not required for them to obey. Remember, obedience does not mean understanding. In fact, it's kind of impossible for it to mean that. Because when God tells us to do something, a lot of times it's based on knowledge he has that we don't know. God will tell us to do things oftentimes that he can tell us to do because he knows the future. But we don't know the future. And so it doesn't make any sense to us. Obedience does not require that we understand. Now, it does require we understand the command, right? And so if if you don't understand what it is that that is being said, you need clarity there. I mean, I need to understand what it is you're telling me to do, but I don't have to understand why. I only have to understand that God knows better than I do. See, their obedience activated the hand of God. And they experienced the arrival of the Holy Spirit for themselves in a powerful and historic way. And so I would close out this episode by by simply urging you don't rob God of the chance to bless you by refusing to be obedient. Whether that is tithing, whether it's making a change in your life, maybe it's something else, just obey and do it with all of your heart. Do it exactly the way God told you to do, no partial obedience. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to understand it. You just have to trust that God wants what is best for you and that he knows better than you what that is. And if you will do that, you will see the hand of God move in your life in powerful ways. He will rebuke the devourer from you. Just trust God. Obey him. If you'll do that, your life will be changed. God bless you. We'll see you in the next episode. Hey, guys, thank you so much for joining us in New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support.